0: It's March 16th, 2016. This is Research Computing at University of Colorado Boulder. My name is Jonathan Anderson, and I'm joined today by Dr. Thomas Hauser, Director of Research Computing here at CU. Uh, Thomas, thanks for being here and for supporting this podcast experiment by agreeing to be interviewed.
1: Oh, I'm very excited to be here. <laughs> um,
0: before we get started, we'll talk a, a bit about research computing and the things that we're planning on doing in the future. I'd, I'd like to talk about you individually for a bit. Um, what can you tell us about uh, kind of your personal background or uh, notably here for university,
1: your educational background, where you went to school, what your research was, things like that? So, sure. So, I grew up in uh, Germany, in Munich, in the suburbs of Munich, and I went to school um, at the University of Technology in Munich, did my master's and PhD there. And then my wife and I were adventurous, and she had a job offer. Uh, uh, in Atlanta and she just took the job and I didn't have anything I was just writing up my PhD and we went uh, to the US
0: so. so you finished your your PhD dissertation here then? No, uh, I
1: finished well, I finished it in Germany, but I was writing my professor was nice. So I was writing some of it in Atlanta. So. Okay. Interesting. Uh,
0: And do you mind me asking, what was
1: the position that that your wife took here that that brought you guys over here in the first place? So it was uh, consulting for automotive industry. My wife worked for a small consulting company that uh, was selling ERP uh, software for automotive industry. And so they opened an office in Atlanta and she took the job and I didn't have a job. Um, and so we decided to go anyway. So.
0: But I understand that now she works here at CU as well. Is yes. that, that right? Um, yeah. She's,
1: she's teaching some things? or, or She's no? teaching in the business school, she's t- teaching management information systems. So right now she's teaching uh, statistics and uh, uh, big data systems class. So, what was your research that that you were finishing up? So, before? I was doing computational fluid dynamics, uh, compressible hypersonic flows around some re-entry vehicles. So, that was kind of my work. So, I used the Cray YMP uh, to do the simulations. Life was easy then. You could just vectorize your code and got good performance. And then, um, I took a postdoc position at the University of Kentucky um, after Atlanta. And there, I really got my hands on clusters Uh, So we worked with a group in electrical engineering and they built, uh, we built our own clusters to run our CFD codes there, so. Oh, which is precisely what we don't want people doing today, right? Exactly, (laughs) I was on the other (laughs) side, I was on the dark side, (laughs) I I built our own clusters. I was actually at the, um, so I think the first one, so we worked very closely with the electrical engineering group and then we built our own clusters. We got a grant from NASA to build some small clusters on our own and I still remember we built the first one We put it in a small office in where we had our student space and postdoc space. We turned it on, it worked, and then the fridge in the neighboring room uh, came on and it blew the fuse, so (laughs) everything went down. So I was on the other side. Clusters. So you said
0: University of Kentucky, I think. Yeah. And then I understand that you were at uh, Utah State Mm -hmm. after that, and then uh, Northwestern uh, before CU. What were you doing at each of those institutions?
1: So I was a faculty member in mechanical engineering at Utah State and also created the Center for High Performance Computing there. So I got the first, I came there, I got a grant, kind of similar small grant of the version we have now with Summit. And we built um, a cluster for the university, and I was running the Center for High-Performance Computing. And then I became Associate Director at Northwestern. Uh, but at the time, Larry Levine, the uh, CIO, he discovered me through an old friend, and they recruited me uh, to Boulder. And since I grew up skiing and hiking, uh, Boulder is just a great place for doing these things. So. It's true. I, have you been
0: skiing here? I guess you've been here longer yeah. than I have, so surely you've been so now.
1: Yeah, the last year has been... Uh, not as much, but I've been skiing and hiking, and um, I enjoy the area
0: here. Is there any benefit to being in Boulder for tennis? Is there much of a tennis community here?
1: Yes, there is, actually. That was one of the big surprises. So we came here, and I, I think my wife and I played the tournament uh, right after I got the job here, and then we were already recruited to several teams. Oh, great. So that was really cool. So. Did you win? Or have you won anything yet? Um, I think we... Were we were ranked as high as, I can't remember, number five, I think, in mixed doubles in the state. All right. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty, it's, it's fun. Um, uh, I, I,
0: I do really like the team that we have here. Uh, Everything that, that we work with, I think, is really good. Uh, can you talk at all about uh, the process of developing that team and what it was like to create a research computing group out of nothing?
1: Yeah, it was it was interesting. It, I learned a lot too. I mean, I think we were under a lot of pressure to get things done at the beginning. Um, so I hired. Uh, I think we had an initial core team that was good and got the things done. Uh, but over time, I think the team evolved. We did some learning how to build an effective team. I think Pete was the uh, the best addition to the team. I mean, he's just yeah, a Pete's great, really good. <laughs> he's a, just a great uh, person to lead the the technical team and, and overall. And, and I think we were careful in hiring, and I think we made some missteps, but I think we we're careful at hiring, and it arrived at where we are. And it's, 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 a, it's an ongoing process, right? I mean, you never know uh, what happens uh, with the team, but so far, yeah, this I'm, I'm very excited. The last two or three years, it was just I mean, a, a pleasure to work with everyone in the team.
0: So I, I understand. So I know research computing is split between the CU Office of Information Technology, what we call OIT, mm-hmm. And then it's the Office of the Provost or is there a different it's term? It's the
1: Office of the Vice Chancellor for Research. I see. So I have two bosses, the CIO and uh, Associate Vice Chancellor for Research, Larry Levine. And then the vice chancellor for research, uh, it's Terry Fees now. So,
0: and how is that uh, split reporting for the institution of research computing? How has that played out in the organization? There you know, have there been any pitfalls for that? Any specific benefits that you think we've enjoyed because of that dual relationship?
1: I think the dual relationship helps us to be have the foot in both worlds. I mean, in the it side and get support from networking and other groups in in OIT but it also connects us to the research side because we are supporting kind of the research enterprise of the university and it really helps us to uh, be able to uh, work closely with researchers, uh, take part in initiatives I mean like Earthlab now and others and so I think it actually has worked out great. I've been on different sides before. I had a uh, just a vice chancellor for research, being my boss, just IT. I think this is a good mix to to really keep us in, in, in both worlds. And as a result, you kind of have individually a dual
0: role here as well, right? You have like a business role kind of with OIT, but then you're also faculty at the institution. Is that correct? Yeah,
1: I'm an adjunct faculty, so okay. I love to teach. I mean, my, my mission, I, I, I want to improve uh, the knowledge of students about computing. I mean, they go in their discipline and learn all about the discipline, but they lo- learn very little about computing. So I really like to also uh, kind of excite them uh, about computing and how can computing help them to answer new questions or bigger questions. That's why I really like to teach. and I taught the uh, scientific visualization class the last two years and I also taught a uh, high performance scientific computing class here and so it's really fun to do that and okay. having an interdisciplinary uh, uh, group of students in the classes
0: yeah are are you teaching anything this semester yeah so yeah. scientific
1: visualization is okay. the class uh, and
0: that's with the new vis cluster that we've put together also is that, that yes. part of this yes yeah so
1: the new vis cluster we put together is uh, kind of uh, the, the class is the proving ground for this Swiss cluster. So we want to learn what are the patterns, what are the weaknesses of the software and the hardware we are deploying. And, and once the class is over, we're gonna open it up as a general service.
0: How has that been going uh, from your perspective? I, I've only really talked with Tim about it yeah.
1: uh, so far. I think so far pretty well. I mean, I think there are some pitfalls with software. Sometimes it hangs or something and, and you don't really know as a user what it does. But overall, I really like this kind of remote uh, visualization approach uh, because it, it frees you up from having a power, having to have a powerful local workstation, and you just do it on the research computing vis cluster, and you have as many cores as you, we give you. Um, so right now we're giving students actually six cores, and then the the high performance graphic cards. So it, it's really working pretty well. I mean.
0: So beyond the Viz cluster, the Viz resource, and this one specific course, um, what kind of people, what researchers or students are are using? research computing resources in general, uh, whether it's Janus
1: or you know other stuff that we have? Um, I think it's very diverse. So we have a very diverse group of users because we offer data and compute resources. So we have the museum and the library is using more of our data infrastructure, but then we have researchers uh, in physics, engineering, even somebody in music. I was actually surprised using uh, our system, and you mentioned before in the business schools. I think we have uh, we have a pretty broad representation of users. Uh, are there any other
0: classes that you are, are specifically interested in that's using uh, that's using research computing resources, and that's notable beyond another CS course or anything like that?
1: Um, I think Ken Henderson in aerospace engineering is using it for his advanced uh, computational fluid dynamics class. So since this is kind of my previous life, I'm really excited that he uses that. Um, I'm not as much aware of other classes right now. Okay. So. Then who is eligible for access to RC resources?
0: Is it just faculty here? Or are, can students get access to it outside of classes? Anything like that?
1: I believe students can get a startup allocation to kind of exploit but if they want to do some serious computation they have to find a faculty m- uh, member as a mentor and kind of the responsible person to make sure we have somebody if a student leaves that uh, somebody is kind of responsible for the student but everybody staff faculty and students have um, access to our resources.
0: Is there any particular target demographic that you're interested in re- reaching out to in the near future? Uh, someone that you think could benefit from using
1: RC resources that isn't today? Yeah, I think I want to reach out to more data-driven uh, communities. Uh, Janos, uh, the Khan system, was more really a computational system. And with our new system coming in, it's a more balanced system. I really like to reach out to more the communities that have uh, kind of big data problems and and I think that's one of the key areas.
0: And you mentioned the new system that we have coming in that we're calling Summit. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how Summit, which originally we were calling SAGA as part of the the NSF grant, uh, how did that whole process begin? How did you start planning for the MRI grant proposal like the one we put
1: together? I think I basically started really planning two years uh, ago and I invited uh, the head of Advanced Cyber Infrastructure um, Directorate at NSF, um, try to get, uh, talk to other uh, research computing organizations that got some of these larger grants to see what they have done. And then I think really um, fall 2014, I have to think about it, yeah, fall 2014, I really started then to work seriously on the grant. Uh, These grants are very, competitive, because the university can only submit two in the category I was submitting to. So you have to go first through the university process. And it was around Supercomputing 2014, so in November, uh, where I wrote this internal proposal. And then once I got through that process, um, we started to work on the, the full proposal to the National Science Foundation. And um, I started around December then, and that's also when I discovered, hey, CSU has, uh, is working on the same grant, and I can't remember if they reached out to me or I reached out, we basically connected and said, hey, it makes more sense to connect and write one proposal, one collaborative proposal. And that's what we then did, and it was a lot of work to pull this together in a very short timeframe.
0: How was the summit proposal and the design for the system that we're putting together uh, different because of CSU's involvement versus what it would have been if we had just been putting together a system on our own?
1: I think it wasn't that different. I think we had a we wanted to get a balanced system that's also for data intensive workflows because I think that's one of the weaknesses we see in the current system. And CSU has biology workflows, life science workflows that are also data intensive. So I don't think there was that much of a change in the overall design. The machine got a little bit bigger. Um, I think we got a few more high memory nodes because that's what uh, CSU requires more for their biology workflows. But overall, I think it didn't change that much. So uh, so
0: what's exciting you particularly about Summit uh, and the capabilities it, w- it will have, especially in comparison to Janus, is it mostly just that it's a more balanced system or is there any specific resource that it will have? Because it's a big kind of heterogeneous system, right?
1: Yeah, it's kind of a, because it's a two-phase system too. So I think we get a more, an, an HPC system in the first phase with uh, characteristic, always local SSDs in each node. And, um, and then I think the Intel OmniPass interconnect is kind of the, the innovative part, but also the risky part of our system. So I think that's a more traditional standard cluster but then in the second phase we are getting the Intel and Knights Landing many core uh, processors uh, directly connected to our network and I think that's looking into the future um, I mean some of the exascale machines that the Department of Energy announced are based on those processors or the next generation of those so it gives gives our researchers who are interested a, a kind of a proving ground and development platform to uh, to make their codes future-proof or future-ready for the new systems that are coming in. So you mentioned
0: the Knight's Landing PHY uh, processors that will be coming as part of the second phase of the installation. And as we've been building it out, we've been very opinionated with the vendors that we want uh, not only directly connected processors to the network, just because if you're going to have OmniPath and Phi, you should, uh, but that they be socketed and not like the primary processor should be the Phi rather than it being a daughter card like yeah. the traditional Phi platform has been so far. Uh, can you talk a little bit about why that is? Because we have some existing kind of proof of concept Phi systems right now, right? So why why
1: was it important that we go with the socketed processors? The the socketed processors have the advantage; they are self-contained nodes. You don't have to go through the, the bus to move data in and out of the processor. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest uh, advantages I see. The other one is uh, you had to provide a separate OS on the uh, previous generation for the kind of accelerator cards and it made it just harder programming. Now you have, a. I mean, it's not easy to program the new systems. You have uh, around, whatever, 240 virtual cores And you need to make sure they are all busy and working synchronously on your task or asynchronously. It works simultaneously on your task, your computational task. But having them just as a processor makes it much easier, I think, as part of the the programming model for the end users.
0: Have you you had any specific dealings with researchers that intend to use Summit? uh, Things that they're excited about, um, or is it just mostly,
1: we want compute and we want more compute? I think it's, we want more compute. I think that's definitely one of the, what what we hear. But there are research, uh, researchers like Ken Anderson in mechanical engineering. They want to do co-visualizations. They want to run a large uh, job, uh, kind of a simulation of airflow on a wing or airplane. And then take the data without really writing it to disk and, and look at the uh, flow, and the aerodynamics right when they run their simulation. So they are very excited about this new architecture.
0: So in addition to CU faculty, and presumably CSU faculty, and they'll have some uh, you know, some process I'm sure for deciding who gets their portion of the machine, who gets to run on
1: it, uh, who else will have access to Summit over time? So I've been chairing a kind of a volunteer organization called the Rocky Mountain Advanced Computing Consortium. And that consists of Colorado, Wyoming, uh, Idaho, Montana and uh, Utah and New Mexico. And we'll offer 10% of the cycles to smaller schools in the area. We want to encourage uh, uh, smaller schools that don't have local resources to say, hey, there's a place if I need uh, uh, computation uh, to come to us and, and work on, on Summit. It's also maybe a learning ground for some of those, so they can use the national resources after they've used Summit, because I think we are more, hopefully more responsive than some of the national uh, resources, and the bureaucracy is less uh, in a local regional system than if you have to go to a national system.
0: Is there any intent to offer any portion of Summit as uh, as available to
1: a national system like Exceed? Um, the second phase, the, K, the Knights landing will make them as development systems available to interested Exceed users. Do you have any interest already lined up, people that are wanting to get on? We haven't advertised out? it very well because I think the timeline is still uh, the end of uh, this year, so it's a little bit out there, so we haven't really done a lot of advertising and I haven't heard uh, any interest yet. But I'll bet there will be interest, I think. T- yeah, but this is more AMAC related, Tom Cheatham at the University of Utah is very interested to look at the KNLs, he is the developer of AMBER. Okay. And uh, so he's very interested to kind of test and develop his code on those uh, new uh, processor platforms. Well, great.
0: Again, our guest today was Thomas Hauser, Director of Research Computing here at CU. Thomas, thank you for being here. If you'd like more information on research computing at CU, you can find us at rc.colorado.edu or email us at rc-help at colorado.edu. Until next time, thanks for listening.
1: Do you have done now, how many do you have you done?
0: So I, I recorded one on my own, and then I recorded one with uh, uh, Scott and Roger from DDN. Okay, uh, good. Scott from our side and, yeah, and yeah. Roger from DDN. That, I just, I've been editing that today, and that was, it's pretty good. Um, I think it was a really good conversation, so I'm looking forward to putting it up. Good. Uh, and, you know, this will be number three, and that's a, a real podcast, I think, <laughs> when you have a third episode. so That's true, yeah. Yeah.